0: Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. This is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, and today I'm talking to Sarah Ritalis, who is a middle school teacher, and we're going to be talking about um, differentiating for your gifted students, especially in your NGSS classroom. We're going to dive right into that interview and right into the conversation I was having with her. We ended up talking for such a long time, um, but this is the like the golden parts of that conversation, so we're going to dive right in. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience with the NGSS? Like, where did you first encounter it? And then how have you been learning about it and using it and and, and all of that? I love, like, I constantly, so for everybody who's listening, I came across you in just Facebook groups, and you always had, like, the most insightful comments and this, like, great ideas and great advice. And I was like, oh, we need to talk to her. So whatever you're doing, you're doing it very well. (laughs) Um. Thank
1: you. Um, I think some of it is that um, because I was – Doing science, um, and because he started a pre school, and with a pre school, you just need a tr- you just need a uh, provisional license. You don't have to do teaching mm-hmm. courses. Um, I was never really taught educational methods first, and so I just said, "Well, why do I love science? How do I teach science?" And so my gut was to do science. That's and awesome. So a lot of it is the asking, the hands-on. Um, I really was never a hey, we're going to learn about the um, plants by just labeling diagrams. I'm like, right. we're going to grow plants. We're going to, you know, grow different types of seeds. We're going to see what we can happen. And then when the kids start asking questions, I was more of, well, it sounds safe enough.
0: Oh <laughs> gosh, that's awesome. Like, we do science. Um, that's so- amazing that you had that experience. And so like, that is not typical of most of the schools in the United States. And so you are super lucky and I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I wish my middle school experience was like that. Yeah.
1: Um, so, I think um, I have kind of lucked out in that sense. Um, the profile school was just kind of me getting my feet wet. And then when I realized that I kind of liked it, I went back and I got my master's um, in secondary uh, science education. And so um, I have master's of teaching, which was kind of nice because then I focused really on science education versus some of what I saw when I was looking at possibly going back for an undergraduate program. Mm-hmm. I think my master's of teaching really helped me develop the true educational background I needed. I had the science content which right. I don't know if that would have happened when if I had truly like done science for elementary ads as an undergrad right at the foundation yes um so what was interesting is one of my professors um recommended me to apply to um a high school in Kenosha um that was an expedition, was an expeditionary learning high school that was looking to expand and expeditionary learning has gone through a lot of um changes since I first did it with them. Um, they were like called originally exhibitionally outward bound, and okay. they kind of, bored. right now they call themselves EL. But the goal there is um, it's called an expedition, and that you learn by doing. And the structure of an expedition, um, you usually find a driving question, and you find an authentic audience, um, and that you have the students work on answering that driving question, to developing something that will be showcased to that authentic audience, and then along the way, 80 to 90% of the lessons you do always tie back into that driving by questions.
0: And you go, hmm, doesn't that sound a lot like an NGSS story? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you have your anchor, you have your like authentic like project or, or experience at the end, the phenomenon that you're trying to answer, explain or solve. Oh my gosh, that, yep. yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, and
1: so that's kind of like, I kind of was doing NGSS before. It was a thing. Yeah. And so, unlike other people when i saw them i was like
0: cool this is what i've been doing right i like it
1: um one of the ways that i i phrase it is um when i was at the the um alternative high school we there um we had work with kids who maybe were two or three or grade levels behind and so my middle school um training worked well because i might have a 10th grader who's working at the 6th or 7th grade level, and I have the ability to go down and bring them up. Yeah. But a lot of it is also of looking at making things manageable. And that's kind of one of the things that I um, run back and forth with people about the NGSS. Some people seem to almost want to do like a word study and like drill down to looking at three or four phrases and say, here, here's proof, this is what we have to do, instead of looking at the context. Um, I always say that the standards are the floor, not the door. And if my students are ready to move on, there's no reason why I can't expose to higher stuff or the next mm-hmm. stuff on the students. Um,
0: but we want to bring all students up to that base level. That was like the goal of the standards. Yeah, but
1: I don't say, they don't say, well, since it's not in the standards, you can't teach it. I'm like, well, if my students are ready to move on, right, I'm going to continue to teach the next part. And that's where we run into that heads up. We're like, I know there's a point where I have to bring them up, but our students develop a secrecy. I'm not going to have every student just on baseline right all the time goes, and what we run into is if we use it as almost the door where we can't go beyond that because the assessment boundary says they don't need right these formula and we're doing these laws, so then i'm never going to get kids prepared adequately for ap right. or accelerated classes He's ready to never get into the higher classes yes. so a lot of it is also that exposure And we need to use these um the standards more um wisely and that it works both ways so when i talk about The standards, one of the strengths is, is that they try to develop a progression from the lowest grades to the highest grades. And now that I'm in eighth grade, um, I've got students uh, who are anywhere between third grade and 11th grade in ability. And so having the standards gives me some guidance. Like the high school, I have taught the high school, I kind of have resources I can pull that way when I have to backtrack beyond sixth grade, yeah. I will admit I'm not getting into my strengths and wheelhouses. And it's really nice. That I can look. And when I'm looking for resources we're trying to put together, I can kind of see, well, these are the foundational skills. And if they don't have the skills for, from third grade, yeah. okay, they will start there. Okay, if they have the third grade skills, okay, well, where's the next progression? Okay, this is what they need as a fifth grader. Do they have those skills? And it helps me more target what are the power
0: standards. That they need to build to get to where they are now or where they should be. Nice. Awesome. So we, um, I feel like in just in education in general, we do a lot of talking about like struggling learners or those who are like, um, you know, below grade level, but I know you have like ex- expertise in, especially those, you know, like you said, the ones who are ready to move on, but those are typically, it's, they're not alone in the class. So like, how do you, like, let's just talk about how you differentiate for those like higher achievers. Um, what is the, what? What have you observed about, like, the experience of those students in NGSS classrooms or in you know classrooms that model that kind of learning?
1: Um, well, my NGSS classroom, eight, actually our eighth grade NGSS classroom, because we were working together with the other teachers, um, we really created a culture shock um, because we even know looking at the standards, the movement in in math and English skills requirements for six and seven is a jump, or from seven to eight is a major jump. A lot of these gifted kids really didn't have to try hard to get good grades. And so now they're realizing that to actually get the grades they're accustomed to, they will actually have to put in some efforts and critical thinking skills. And those Mm -hmm. kids who maybe struggled a little bit to get their Bs, they're the ones who are on solid footing. So a lot of it actually is letting them know that the classroom is safe
0: to fail. Um,
1: One of the downsides we run into with gifted kids is we have this stereotype that they're a straight A student and they're always perfect and that causes unnecessary stress on them, and that they actually become risk-reverse.
0: And yes. And teaching them
1: that a hard-earned B is worth much more to them than an easy A. Yes.
0: And honestly, I can identify with that. I don't remember having to work until probably high school and getting those first, like, you know, I think I failed a physics test once, and it was just like, what? My life is over, you know? But, and, but even even within a class and a lower risk activity, sharing ideas and stuff, sometimes you're a little hesitant. You don't want to be like look dumb because you're supposed to be a smart kid, especially in classes where everybody else is smart. You know, those honors classes, like you're like, oh, they're going to call me out because I said something stupid. Um, So some of the things that I do, um, because I don't have an
1: honors science class. My kids are kind of, we do use clustering though. So um, I'll have some years I have, one which doesn't really work for clusters and it's much harder to differentiate when I have just one gifted but um, two years ago I had four or five in a class and then four or five in the other class and this year I have the same thing where I have four in one class five in the other and so they actually then can provide a study buddy group and so I can set them a task um, and they can then work together and so first of all with middle schoolers they are social so Last year, when I only had one gift in a town, it was much harder to get her to want to do stuff because then she would feel like she was isolated. Now, yeah. the kids are seeing it as an opportunity to push each other and challenge each other, and we call them kind of like the study groups and study buddies. Um, so that's one thing, is, is strategically grouping them mm-hmm. to support each other. The other thing, though, is because it's middle school, um, again, I really trust to them that if they find the higher work too much, they can always choose to go back down to the regular level. And actually, I had one parent requested me to take her gifted student because he had had in her words um an unhappy experience in sixth and seventh grade science and she wanted me to try to fix it before he went to high school and so he actually would tell me I don't feel confident that I can do this and I'd be like okay you can try the regular stuff and it was that constantly reassuring him that he could choose and have control yeah which is course we're
0: getting for both high and low so, when you have your students in these different groups, like, what what's everybody doing? Or, like, how does, how does it work in these groupings?
1: <laughs> um, it works. It depends on the test. Um, so, some of it is, the biggest one that I usually have to differentiate for is reading um, articles and math. And so, what I usually do is that I will first find the grade level and low grade level. That's just how I have to differentiate. And then the next time I do the lesson that's when I can usually add in the high level. If I can't do all three, there's just not enough time for me to get um, the middle, the high and the low together. So I do have to say, so you can't do it all at once. So okay. differentiate bits or bits. Um, so that's the first thing is that, um, for example, I had a very well scripted differentiated storyline um, two years ago, but then our district coordinator decided um, as part of um, changing or getting new curriculum that we also then were going to teach in the letter order of the textbooks, even, and refused to let me use the storyline anymore. So Ah, I've been having to redevelop materials that now meet the developmental skills the kids have at different stages because we're teaching the content in different orders. And I'm still playing with, this one still works. No, this doesn't work with the new assessment in the process of rebuilding. And that's one of those where, again, people don't seem to get that it takes time to craft. And it's, again, it's also, you have to be kind to yourself where you're gifted, if you can get if you can differentiate 15% of your lessons, that's 15% more than they would have had. Yeah. And that's a right. growth. And then the next year you have that 15%. Well, now you can find another. And then you can kind of aim towards um, differentiating 30-40% of your lessons. I don't differentiate every lesson. That would just be too much and overwhelmed. And the kids don't always need that because a lot of it is also um, the critical thinking kind of differentiates yourself. Yeah. So, like one of the things that I call is, I, I call a lot of the stuff we do in MGSS accordion lessons, because when you when you give the kids a task of like constructing a model or writing a CDR, I can squish it down like an accordion to make it easy for lower kids by giving them more scaffolding, yeah, word banks, and for the higher kids, I can stretch it out by removing information or saying now you know what where's your rebuttal or you need to give me more evidence for. I need you to show me that this evidence you picked is significant, and I can give them higher expectations for data analysis yes. and working with
0: without having to come models. up with whole new lesson plans or whole new resources. Just adapting with the ba- from the base.
1: Yes, and that's why I said think of it more as an accordion. That I got the middle, and if I can stretch it a little bit, get yeah. harder or squish it down to bring all the kids in, they can they can interact. And again, middle school peers are important communication is important, so think, pair, share. Um, also, one of the things that a lot of people don't know is this asynchronous development, that they're not all gonna be strong all the time, and mm-hmm. it's okay if they have a as well, and it's okay if they go, you know what, this, this unit, my electromagnet, just isn't really hitting me, so I'm going to not do the honors work, and then, because you know, things. Um, what also I have, though, is because I do a lot of challenge by choice, um, is that I'll have quote unquote regular kids okay, so will go, I think I'm getting this. Can I try the harder stuff? And I'm like, try the first couple questions. If you get it right, go for it.
0: That's awesome. Um, and,
1: and, and the way we remove the risk is, um, well, the other thing that's a key thing is I don't punish the gifted kids for being gifted. Um, common mistakes that people make is they go, oh, you finished the worksheet. Congratulations. <laughs> you get two more. Yeah. Um, so really, um, if it's like homework, um, the math. I was able to find, um, because I had taught high school, I have um, Hewitt's conceptual physics um, problem workbook, which is algebra-based physics problems. So I don't have to worry about the honors kids only being geometry, but those word problems are much more complex, Mm -hmm. and I can give them, instead of seven regular math problems that are based around the math concept, I can give them five of the more challenging word problems and I can say, OK, we're together. And it's great because they'll put out the dry erase boards. They'll kind of come up, we problems, problem solve. And what I point out to them is that the math isn't challenging. It's the approach to solve the problems, because a lot of times it requires three or four or five steps. Right. And they can't be brute force. And that actually frustrated um, one of my students a couple of years ago, because he was super, super good at mental math, but he couldn't do mental math on the physics work problems, because you Had to do things like, oh, I have to calculate the potential energy when the wheels on the top of this hill, right? And then I have to figure out how far it went up the second hill, so I have to do this and convert that to kinetic. Yeah, but he didn't like that at all. We, we went around <laughs> in circles, he got mad because some of the quote unquote non-dicted kids were being in the pants off of him figuring out, and that's when I because most hits, it was the problem solving, not the mask, right? That was the, that was the challenge. Same thing when we do, the other one I do, um, I'm a little braver, (laughs) as they tell me, but Sarah's a little bit braver. Um, I'm like, make me an offer if it sounds reasonable. So, for example, um, I had the kids do a model of an acrobat jumping to try to show changes in potential kinetic energy. And they have to prove to me that the energy was conserved. It was just transformed from one to another. And the kid goes, can I do it with a basketball shot? I'm like, well, as long as you know the concept is that you're supposed to show me that the transform yeah. energy is so do to go best. Way. I that's didn't awesome. think that. He kind of self-differentiated from himself. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Some, well, but see, that's some of the stuff that, that people don't realize too is, yes, they're kids, but you don't talk down to them. Yeah. You have to find that way you're talking at their level and expecting, hopeful that they will get that maturity because they have to have that time to mull it over yeah. and think it through. But that also kind of comes back to why I think the NGSS has such potential is because it has the kids putting things in context. Yes. Um. So it's not, It's not. well, I have to learn this because I have to memorize this textbook. It really is, they want to go. So I mean, I love, I love these learning.
0: standards, so I love the big picture approach. I love the storylines and the anchor, like the connections to, you know, that real world phenomena and not just learning like this chapter and that chapter and this fact and that fact. And that's why I hated science when I was younger and – So I think there's just so much value with it, but it is scary for people and it's different for a lot of people who've been teaching, you know, in a certain way for a certain time. How
1: many teachers currently teaching actually were taught themselves in a format that aligned with the intent of the NGSS? Very few. Right. But that's even when I ask myself, I go, well, am I teaching it? Am I meeting the intent of the NGSS? do I turn to right to kind of a brief and say yeah you're on the right track or no you're not right
0: and then sometimes you just have those aha moments like through you know as you're like implementing it and you're just like oh I, I get that piece now or I get that component or I understand that's what it's supposed to look like and it's just like it clicks sometimes when you're in the midst of it <laughs> But anyway, thank you so much for taking your time tonight to talk with us. And if our listeners want to connect with you, um, I will put your Teachers Pay Teachers store in the show notes, and they can reach out to you there. so Sarah is on Facebook as Sarah Ann, but I know her account is pretty private. She's um involved in the NGSS for middle and high school science teachers Facebook group. If anybody um is in there, you can you can definitely reach out to her there. It's her name is Sarah Ann and I think it's like a little Lego person. Um but otherwise, yeah, connect with her in the show notes, um find her teacher's pay teacher store and you can use that as the um as a place that you can connect with her initially so thank you guys so much for listening and I hope you walked away with some really good ideas about how you can well how the NGSS meets the needs of all learners but how you can um, you know adapt your lessons without overwhelming yourself to meet um, not just your like struggling learners but also those who are ready to move beyond the base you know the base level that the standards outline so thank you so much for tuning in guys I will talk to you guys later
1: Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to saddlersciencecom slash 3D Planner to grab yours. That's saddlersciencecom slash 3D Planner.